Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, es kommt Nachthauser! I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Schnappienjäger Maddox. How are you, Simon? I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing all right. Something, something is, is more, I don't know, the water tastes sweeter, the food is more nutritious, the air is somehow more clean. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. Simon. What is it, Simon, about this week of all weeks? Yeah, it's a feeling that I've never experienced before. It's, it's almost as if, like, champions? Someone's a champion of something, but who could it be? Who could it be? Yeah, champions. The women's England team won the European Championship final on Sunday, and I still haven't quite recovered from watching an England team raise a trophy <laughs> and do a victory lap of Wembley. Mm-hmm. It felt like all the emotions that I've been holding in for a year were suddenly released after watching finally an England team win something in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah how did you feel watching it yeah i mean it was it was a really good game it was a fantastic tournament as well and an incredible advertisement for for the women's game i'm sure it's gonna continue to break records in viewers and stadium attendees really really great uh, the progress that's been made in the women's game in the last 10-15 years is, is a joy to behold and of course to see the lionesses the england team play so well throughout the whole tournament and of course, beating Germany in the final is something that, as young Englishmen, we've dreamed about for many, many years. And to see it happen was was really pleasant. And of course, one of the things that's really special about the win is that there's no nastiness or negativity. If it was England men versus Germany oh, men God. in the final at Wembley, it would have been carnage. I mean, we saw what happened at the last final in England where there was effectively yeah rioting and the there have been lots of posts contrasting photos between the two events and yeah there were no cars set on fire there were no Germans attacked on public transport on the way home German vehicles were allowed to go on their way um it was civil which is a really nice fresh take on football uh so yeah it was it was wonderful like I did get I did I did get a tear in my eye watching the, the trophy. I totally did. I totally did. I had to leave the room and I was just like, oh, this is ridiculous. But at the same time, it was beautiful. I kind of knew that would happen. Yeah. But yeah. We're of that age where we've only been let down when it comes to English football. Like, there's been nothing good. There have been iconic moments mm. like Euro 96. I'm assuming for both of us was one of the first major tournaments. And that has some like incredible moments like Gaza's goal against Scotland. Um, of course, going out on semi-final penalties to Germany is is iconic. Mm. But yeah, there's been no joy. Uh, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. And we've had to rely on, on rugby and cricket and, and darts <laughs> <laughs> to get our victory feelings. Um, so yeah, it was it was really, really wonderful. And yeah, delighted for the Lionesses who, who played a cracking tournament. And the celebrations after were just amazing. Really amazing. I think it was... I'm trying to think who it was that um, that set me off. I think it was, it was Ellen White. I think Ellen. I saw Ellen White. They were started singing um, "Sweet Caroline," and she bombed it across mm-hmm. the pitch to be with the fans to sing it. And I don't know. It was that. That was it. And I, there wasn't the trophy raising. It wasn't the actual win. It was seeing how she was like sort of embodying all the sort of celebrations that most England fans have had sort of inside them for a very long mm-hmm. time. I think that was what did it. Yeah, I couldn't have really wished for a better start to the uh, to the week. So yeah, I'm hoping this really does mean a a surge in support for uh, women's football. It's already got a very interesting season in the Premier League in front of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I- I'll be honest, I wasn't, I didn't feel that invested at the beginning of the tournament, and then as I watched the games, I was just more and more invested. So it was a weird experience mm-hmm. being an England fan, like being a fan of football. But also it felt also kind of like following a, a new team or like yeah. you sort of getting to know players, some players that you knew, some players that you didn't. And it was, yeah, it was sort of, the whole experience was just, yeah, it was massive. And I think one of the really wonderful things about the tournament is is the air of inclusivity. Like you could hear it in the songs in the stadium that there were more female voices. And when you saw the, the crowd being panned by the camera, like all kinds of people were in the stadium gunning for the team to do well and that was really great 
loads of inclusive flags and and messages. And of course, it's not that long now until we have our our World Cup, the Winter World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a very, very different style of tournament when it comes to inclusivity and uh, positive messaging on like, gender identity and sexuality. So yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased we got that to start us off this summer and we can sort of prepare ourselves for what's going to be a far less Aye. inclusive and representative tournament in Qatar. It's the cursed World Cup, so England's bound to win that as well. So, Yeah, it kind of feels like it. It'll be the first World Cup where there's no alcohol allowed and there'll be a load of English like home-brewing their own stuff <laughs> uh, from like, I don't know, grapes. <laughs> date date wine must be doable, I guess. I don't know. They'll just be, they'll just be at home having to stick their own uh, fireworks up their asses. So I guess that's what the, the England fans will be up to. So oh, it's a shame we have to do this indoors, burning down the houses. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, as I say, it's been a very nice start to the weekend. Yeah. It's sad that it's over. I could have watched the whole tournament again. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, as we are a podcast about Germany, you've got to say the German team also had one hell of a tournament. I commiserate. Of course. Yeah. Really well played. And the, the dignity mm-hmm. with which generally the defeat has been taken of course build is writing articles about a handball that was cited by var but wasn't reviewed by the referee and a lot of people are up in arms and of course there was covid uh within their team and uh pop who was the star of the semi-final wasn't able to start the final and so there is an argument be like oh we could have had a better chance if 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 uh, but generally, it's been very magnanimous mm-hmm. uh, in defeat. So yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. The English wouldn't have taken it so well, I think, if we'd lost. I oh, know it's all the same stuff you hear when England does lose. That's exactly the same stuff, and it's mm. coming from the same organs. And ultimately, I think the yeah. the the Germany team were massive throughout the tournament, and I think they yeah. they played a lot more conservatively until they played the final. I felt they were really going for it in the final, especially in the extra time. But um. Hey, it's football, isn't it? It's, it's what happens. It wasn't mm-hmm. a fantastic forty-yard screamer that won the the game. It was a, essentially a tap-in, and that that's what happens, isn't it? Oh, but the first goal was a deft chip. Oh yeah, the it first was, goal was a Harry, wildy. Harry Kane would have been proud of it. It was a proper wildy that it first goal. Lovely goal. I mean, that's what happens, isn't it? How many times have you seen that where there's been a, just a, a smarter, more alive player in the box in front of an England goalkeeper mm-hmm. and they, they stab the ball in, you know? It, it was just nice for once for it to, to work out on our <laughs> on our terms and I don't think many Germany fans are actually that salty about it. No, but they've had, they've had plenty of success mm-hmm. and I think they're okay with missing out on this one. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, we've been, we've been waiting. We've been not particularly patiently waiting, yeah. but we've been waiting, trying our best. Um, and yeah, it's finally it's, it's come home. Uh, hence the it's come like house. What did you make of the bandwagoning from politicians? There's a lot of people going, "Oh yeah, hooray!" And for England and Nadine Dorries was your favourite MP was in attendance, doing loads of selfies and yeah, pretending that she hasn't been a block to investment in the women's game. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, there were also politicians in the stadium, uh, Dorries yeah. and Coffee, uh, who have both decided to vote against the acceptance of same-sex marriages. And of Mm -hmm. course, in the Lionesses team, I think there are seven players in the Mm -hmm. squad who are openly gay. And so, yeah, it's it's bullshit. And of course, there were also, I mean, the the photo I keep thinking of is Jerry Halliwell and Nadine Dorries. And of course, Jerry Halliwell was Ginger Spice. Yeah. And I forget who it was back in the day. I think it was it was a Radio One uh, presenter. It might be so. La- Lauren Laverne. Lauren Laverne called them Tory scum. Yeah. The Spice Girls, and she was right. She was totally right. She I... was absolutely right. Jerry Halliwell is apparently Tory scum, and it's a shame because she, not that long ago, had a chance to really be a, a very representative and inclusive voice, and she's just decided to go the way of Tory power. It's bullshit. Here's something I'm thinking about, right? Why the fuck mm-hmm. are we giving t- free tickets to... Because they're, they're clearly free tickets, right? Like, yeah. d- Nadine Dorries isn't paying to go to see the England game. There's no way that that's happening, right? Like, I mean, she is Minister for, for Sport on top of culture and digital, whatever. Like, she... There is some justification for her being there. I know, but, yeah. like, she clearly doesn't give a fuck. She isn't no. across a brief, as you would see every time she's interviewed. Like, that's just one seat less for an actual fan, as opposed to someone who's there purely uh, to milk it for political benefit. And it's just like... And, of course, it was sold out, 83,700 exactly. and something people in the stadium. Like, an incredible 
attendance there and support. And yeah, as I say, it's taken away the possibility for someone who is interested in the game. And of course, as I say, she isn't across her brief. She forgot about the Glasgow Games when she said that we hadn't had anything since the Olympics. Um, I mean, yeah, she's just inutterably shit. And it is it's, it takes something away from the whole tournament when you see pictures of her celebrating it. I mean, Rishi Sunak's post. <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw that. The photo of him like, <clears throat> celebrating with a cup of coffee. It's like, oh, oh just fuck off. Well, I mean, he is teetotal in fairness, but at the same time, like all this it's what they've always done it's like david cameron forgetting he was a west ham fan when he said he was an aston villa fan and all that shit tony blair saying he's a newcastle fan like can politicians just not pretend to like football like just stop pretending (laughs) like you don't need to we all think you're weird alien people like we already know that we hear you speak so like you don't need to pretend (laughs) that you're one of us it's like they've they've taken a course from uh, the invasion of the body snatchers about how to like integrate with normal people I bet they do as well. I bet there's a course at Westminster where it's like, and this is what normal people, this is how normal people eat their sandwiches. Don't get caught eating it the normal politician way because <laughs> that'll definitely out you as a weirdo. Well, there are certain ministers that get video briefings as well, which shows them the cultural highlights of the month, I think. So they get like clips of Love Island, clips of like EastEnders, like anything that big happens in media. So they aren't caught out by those kinds of simple questions that always catch politicians out. But yeah, they're not normal people. <laughs> I love it if a politician went, oh, like, what do you think of Love Island? It's, it's fucking shit. It's rotting your brain. Like, <laughs> stop watching it. Do something better with your lives because it's not something that anyone should be watching. It should have a health advisory on it that you will be dumber after yeah. you've watched this. But the millions of people that watch Love Island are also easy, soft targets to get votes from, aren't they? I don't like, even think they fucking vote, mate. They only vote on Love Island and all that. I just honestly don't think they vote. I think, <laughs> what was the turnout? Would turnout for the last election was something like under uh, 60% or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was something like 50% of the population, maybe less than that, right? So if we think that's the turnout, there's millions of people who aren't voting. Are you telling me they're yeah. not sitting at home watching fucking Love Island? Bet you they are. Bet you they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every now and again, you do see a clip of one of these kinds of shows where the contestants talk about Brexit, for example, and they're like, but Spain's not in Europe. Like simple, <laughs> really troubling things. Like how are we going to get our cheese? Or like just just have a politician that actually sounds normal. That's why uh, all these strikes that have been happening in Britain have garnered so much support for the, the strikers because the people who represent them sound like normal people. You have that in Germany as well. Like when you hear Deutschland Radio Funk, you can't discern normal person from politician. Mm-hmm. There's the academic voice, there's the politician voice. And then there's like the normal everyday human being voice. And it's only ever in call-ins <laughs> that you hear that difference because the politicians all have this cadence that they sort of put on. Yeah. Although I will say most politicians in Germany are a little less attracted to the camera. They're sort of big politicians, sure. But if you watch like any day in the Bundestag and you're like, yeah, that guy wasn't ready for being on camera. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, I kind of like that. Like A lot of them do look normal. I think, I think a lot of them are aware that a camera is an, an amazing opportunity to lose votes when people see a faux pas <laughs> or just the physicality of someone that that is taken into account i think by the politicians like if the less i'm seeing the less likely i am to lose votes <laughs> i'll just sit at the back if only we did that in england <laughs> now they're all like sitting on top of each other desperately clawing for a camera to look at them yeah dear me <laughs> so yeah you're, you're lucky thing you're listening to an episode of decades from home and as well as being lovely and british and, and hopefully charming enough to keep you coming back for more um, one thing you don't know is that we're also really tall. And this is how tall people speak. We try and temper ourselves uh, <laughs> for the good of the show. We all sound like Brian Blessed. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Flash Gordon's alive. <laughs> I um, am quite tall. <laughs> Would you like to go in my boat? <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty solid young Brian Blessed, I think. Anyway, that's not the point. We're quite tall. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're tall. We're, we're, we're not even quite tall. We're, we're way above the global average, and we're above above European average. We're above German average. The only thing we're not above is Dutch average. I think we're probably... Actually, we probably are just above the it. The Dutch are the tallest uh, humans in the world. That's all I They know. are the tallest nation on Earth, uh, the Dutch. So, well done. 
you guys. It's, it's very impressive. You are all very, very tall. Why are we talking about tall and people, Simon? We're talking about tall people because obviously it's not a disability to be as tall as we are, but being really, really, really fucking tall is certainly a disability. The world is built uh, for people of around our height and below. And of course, all around us, we see small doors for small people of days of yore. But there is an unfortunate group of people who, who struggle with being short uh, and little man syndrome. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a German court who has decided that a woman cannot claim being short as an illness. Um, the woman claimed that being shorter than average hampered her quality of life and insisted that her insurance company should cover her limb lengthening surgery. Um, obviously, I don't know much about limb lengthening surgery. I know it's not the easiest thing to say, and it sounds pretty painful. And yeah, a court in Bremen has said no to limb lengthening on insurance. Um, so Nick, first impressions. Should insurance companies be paying for limbs to be lengthened? Instinctively court siding with insurance companies makes me feel uncomfortable. That'll be mm -hmm. the first thing. I like that instinct. Because I, I do feel like, like every year we get a letter from the insurance company telling us what they no longer cover. And it just seems like they get mm -hmm. a choice of like, we're, we're here to ensure your uh, health concerns, except for all these other things that we don't <laughs> want you to sort of benefit from. And it's, yeah, I find that a little bit micey. And actually, the more detail you learn about this story and, and the, the motivation of the, of the woman who was involved in the court case, the more kind of sympathy I have for her, really. Yeah. Um, but I've got friends who are, who are a bit sh well, shorter than me, but they certainly have hang-ups about it in the same way that I've had hang-ups about my weight or other people have hang-ups about maybe acne or but the way like it's a similar sort of thing that, that people have like whether they have some kind of obvious physical aspect to them and it, it's filled with negativity and i think being short is often considered a, a super negative um and this woman was saying that it had psychological effects on her mm -hmm. uh, that she was going through depressive phases her experience was akin to that of someone with a disability in everyday life and often the environment she was in was too high for her. She was rejected from jobs. Admittedly, it was for a pilot school, but then they're famously quite strict with regards to physical stature. And so she felt she was being restricted from job choices. And actually, she suffered from something called Noonan syndrome, which is a genetic mm -hmm. disorder. And that her current height is uh, 1.5 meters, which in old money is 4 feet 11 inches. Mm -hmm. When you think about that, you can understand, yeah, well, it must be really difficult. And she's actually the shortest 3% of women in the country. And, yeah. and so you can understand with all that and sort of the pressure and body image issues that we've discussed in a previous episode, you can understand why should we want to have this quite drastic surgery, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she also claimed that, yeah, she's not always seen as a full person and that is a heartbreaking concept. Yeah, that was really sad. It made me really sad to hear that. Yeah, that's that's really really tough to imagine yeah. feeling that way, and that that's how people um, view you, and that sort of justifies what the article calls mm -hmm. height correction operation. And I think that language plays a big part in it here because if we talk about limb lengthening, and um, kind of sounds like I just want longer legs or my arm, mm -hmm. I need I need more wingspan, but height correction operation sort of is a bit more direct and what it is actually doing because yeah to be in the the shortest three percent and 1.5 meters is is absolutely not a convenient mm -hmm. height to live at just in terms of like i mean renting a property and if you're mm -hmm. lucky enough to get a kitchen in your property uh here in germany that's not a guarantee at all 1.5 meters like you're going to be struggling to i mean you probably aren't going to reach the top cupboards uh, at that height and it's going to limit your interactions with the world around you so yeah i, I definitely feel bad for her and it's, it is disheartening that they don't even being short in the eyes of a court isn't even an illness never mind a disability um but i say with her noonan syndrome which as well as affecting her her body can also yeah uh, facial characteristics heart defects uh and all sorts of uh developmental issues uh, can come from that and a lot of those would automatically yeah. be covered by her insurance company that's what um, i was thinking so it seems harsh that her syndrome is only half covered uh, or partially covered that feels extremely unfair 
she has a diagnosed syndrome and if it was a heart defect the insurance company wouldn't mm. be allowed to and it says everything to me about how German courts, insurance companies especially, perceive mental health. Yeah. It's a fact of living in Germany that German insurance companies do not give a shit about mental health. They will withdraw funding. In fact, there's a lot of companies, in fact, a lot of politicians who just have no time for any consideration about mental health unless it's burnout. Burnout they yeah. can conceive of, but any idea that you might be depressed or that you might have some serious issues working through stuff or whether it's stuff is in childhood that don't seem to make a lot of effort and provide a lot of funding for those and if they do it's like you can have five sessions but i hope you're fixed by your fifth session and yeah. you're like well what if you've got like <laughs> deep-rooted mental health issues and you're only provided for with five sessions on your insurance and then it goes up to like 200 euros an hour you know it's sort of a bit mm. ridiculous but the court's stance and its actual ruling was that they did side with the insurance provider and they said that the company did not have a duty to cover the client's leg lengthening surgery and so the court yeah, ruled against the woman and uh, they said her height doesn't constitute an irregular physical condition, which got me thinking, mm -hmm. what is or what constitutes an irregular physical condition? So I did some searching around on the old Googles and I discovered that according to the Landes Sozialgericht Niedersachsen, which is the local court in Niedersachsen, the problems explained by the woman didn't constitute disadvantages and certainly didn't exceed the threshold that is required for medical treatment and they said according to the the current law as written insured persons are entitled to medical treatment if necessary to diagnose an illness to cure it to prevent it from getting worse or alleviate symptoms of illness an illness is defined as a regular physical and mental state that deviates from the model of a healthy person who requires medical treatment and renders the person concerned unable to work now i'm not a harvard educated lawyer but it's a very one-sided perspective that the court seems to have. Um, and it talks about regular physical and mental state that deviates from the model of a healthy person. Like, that's not great as a descriptor. I mean, for me, the telling part is the final few words. Renders the person concerned unable to work. Like, you're only ill if you can't work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you just mentioned burnout as well as the one mental health area where this is discussed openly and freely in Germany. But of course, burnout is... You've worked too hard. So like all this metric is concerned with work and yeah, depression or having facing difficulties. Um, they aren't illnesses unless you can't work. And that's mm. a really odd structure, that's for sure. There's a line at the bottom where it says the difficulties that the woman has encountered in everyday life could be remedied with an aid or an assistive living facility. And I kind of thought about that and I was like, do you know what it is, right? It must be galling for someone with disabilities to go through life basically not accommodated to. And that's what I feel a lot in Germany is you see a lot of facilities that are basically ableist, you know, like the toilets facilities in a lot of places. There's a lot of bars and places that people just don't have access to. Uh, not every shop has a ramp going into it, you know, mm -hmm. like there's certain things that just aren't accommodated for. I mean, some shops just don't even have toilets, so which is something yeah. that I think is the law in the, the UK. And uh, it does feel a lot like the world is very much designed for people who have the model of a healthy person, as this language would describe. And the only advice or support that the court can give this person who is obviously having some level of distress, she, she, what she wants to do is basically have her legs cut and then expanded. This isn't a surgery that's like a bit of a laugh. Like it's not liposuction or having a little bit of Botox injected in here. This is like serious surgery with serious physical risks that has a lot of time that requires for physio and recovery. But their advice is, I'll oh, just go to an assisted living facility. Like, come no. on, like, what is this? Is this like, just put all the lepers outside the village? Is this the plan? Is this the operation that we're going with here? Because it does feel a bit like that. And I mean, yeah, she, she's hoping to gain 10 to 15 centimeters to take her to 160 or 165, uh, 165 being five foot five. And again, that's, that's not tall, but it's definitely a, a big difference. Uh, but in the eyes of the law, the other thing that's strange is if she actually had limb shortening surgery, 
and went to below 141, then she'd qualify to have the treatment to make her taller because then she'd be categorized as being physically disabled if you're under 141 centimeters and a severe disability is under 131. Mm. So yeah, she's too tall to be considered to have a disability. It's it's a it's a weird system that there's just this number 141 and that's how it's measured. It's it should be case by case surely. It's a weird system if you forget that the insurance companies have a lot of power and have a lot of lobbying power behind them. That's the, mm. the, the again the truth of this. We had, this is a few years ago, we had a medical situation and we needed a diagnosis, right? The doctors couldn't diagnose what it was that was an issue and the insurance companies acted exactly as you'd expect a capitalist outfit to operate, which is they did nothing. They were like, oh, well, we can't help you. The doctors don't know what's wrong with you, so we can't pay for anything. You know, but there's mm-hmm. something wrong here. The doctors don't know what it is, but we still have medical bills. And they're like, oh, no, well, without a diagnosis, nothing, nothing could be done. You know, and, and that's their sort of reaction. And it's kind of like, well, it, it does feel like the weight of the courts and the weight of, of opinion is, is behind the, the insurance companies. Because, I, I don't know, my experience maybe differs from yours. Anytime I criticize the German healthcare system, all I get is a wall of shit back. Like if I have a tweet about it, or if I speak to people about it, there's always someone who's like, it's better than the NHS. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm not talking mm. about the NHS. I'm talking about this system that you have that is clearly weighted towards insurance companies. And this is just a, a kind of another example where it feels like, could the insurance company pay for it? You fucking better believe they could. They make so much money. They make more money than, than most sort of other industries you know like they're not they're not the airline companies we're talking about last week who couldn't plan ahead or couldn't think about what to do and were going bankrupt and screwing up everything these are very well organized very bean counting groups of people like that's their job and it's and it does feel like the game's weighted against you and they're just making money who are hand over fist while also telling people oh actually we don't cover that on on insurance anymore sorry and I mean, it wasn't that long ago that a lot of insurance companies wouldn't even insure uh, foreigners either. Like it was like, Art or Car um, was the first one that would take Turkish customers. I don't know if they call them customers. Definitely not patients. I don't know, clients. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, in, in the Turkish community, uh, Art or Car is, is, is loved because they were willing to be involved in helping people who had migrated here to get the the protection they needed. Mm. But I mean, back to what you said about how, how people are quite sensitive around criticism of German healthcare, because of course, they have every right to be proud of their system because it is a good system. It works for the user generally. The service is good. My experience has been like, yeah, I've had a lot of like rudeness, uh, a lot of insensitivity, but the actual the coal face of healthcare has been good. And of course, I come from the UK and I've experienced the NHS in all its forms. I've had private healthcare in the UK as well through uh, my mum's job. And I've lived in America and experienced the healthcare there. And I would say, generally, the German kind of like, for the consumer, works the best. But I think a lot of Germans are really touchy about it because they think, okay, the NHS is shit because there's a lot of evidence to say that today it is a pretty poor uh, situation that it's in and they know that it's better than americans because they're paying so little for their insurance compared to what you'd pay in the u.s and so it's just easy to be like that shit that shit therefore we're good um and there's definitely room for improvement on all of these health services yeah that was my point it's not a bad system but there's always room for improvement and when you see unfairness in the system clearly you should be able to point it out like every doctor i've ever spoken to is agreed with everything I've said about any criticism I've had for the healthcare system and that it's penny pinching. And they're like, yeah, mm. totally agree. Anytime I speak to a normal person, someone in business, like usually that's where you get the most support for insurance companies. And I'm like, really? Are you supporting the insurance companies over normal people? Is that the, the bag here? Debica are that much of a proposition for you that you're going to sort of get into an argument with some random British person about their provisions for healthcare. I don't really get it, to be perfectly honest, but horses for courses. Either way, this basically leaves this woman facing paying for the the procedure out of her own pocket, and it isn't clear yet if that's even possible. But yeah, it's, it's a sad story. Maybe there'll be an update. Maybe there'll be an appeal. Maybe the courts will see sense. I don't know, but we'll see. 
this week, obviously, we were celebrating the victory of, of England over, over Germany in the European Championship final. Sorry to remind you, German listeners. Apologies, but I'm <laughs> still quite excited. Anyway, there's another quote, though, that I'd like to offer up to you uh, that will lead us into our next topic. And it's from the father of modern economics, sometimes believed to, to be also the father of the capitalist system in which we live today. And I was complaining so much about only a few moments ago. This is a quote from Adam Smith. As soon as the land of any country has all become private property, the landlords, like all other men, love to reap where they never sowed and demand a rent even for its natural produce. So what am I going to be talking about today? Well, Adam Smith would be, I guess, dancing in his grave over the news coming out of <laughs> Germany last week that a woman in Köln uh, managed to get one over those dastardly landlords. This woman was the, the daughter of a couple who had rented an apartment in the 1960s and they had, like most renters in Germany, put down a kotzion, a deposit of, uh, in this case, 800 marks. And uh, that was then reinvested into stocks in the company in which owned the apartment block and so many decades later when the the daughter in question asked for the courtion back it turned out that there'd been a little bit of a um increase on the 800 marks mm -hmm. i was kind of hoping though simon that, sh that they would pull out 800 marks that they had 800 marks in their safe just in case but sadly that wasn't the case well i mean they, they did kind of try to do that because 800 marks is about 400 euros or at the time of the article it was 409 euros and three cents and that's what the housing company offered her mm. they basically just translated um her calcion her deposit her parents deposit into modern money and try to give her that but as nick said this is quite common behavior that landlords and landlord companies especially will take your deposit and put it into an investment portfolio uh, happened to us with our last landlords mm. and we got paid i think an extra 30 euros back on our deposit it wasn't a great return but we did get some extra money back uh, i'm all for this this company, they were allowed to invest in, I think, their own shares yeah. uh, was one of the requirements. They couldn't just put it on, into Google, um, <laughs> but their own company has done well over this period, very, very well, to the point that this dividend was now worth €115,000. And yeah, she took the company to court because the €409 Euro wasn't really a fair representation of what the value of her deposit was. And yeah, she won. <laughs> she, has, she won. And it's absolutely incredible that the real estate company has now had to pay out €115,000. So from an €800 Euro deposit, not even an investment um, by her parents, she's ended up making basically two years wages, uh, maybe more. But apparently it's all down to the fact that the couple moved house in 2005 and they moved to another apartment, but it was owned by the same... Uh, housing association or housing company and the mm -hmm. security deposit was transferred and that was i think for you said 409 euros yeah and when the lease ended in 2018 the landlord tried to pay it back and the daughter was like hang on a second didn't you invest this and it turns out because they moved it was now under a different law that meant that the tenant had the choice between having it paid out in the shares or having it paid out in cash and the shares clearly were worth more. And so the German civil code stipulates that the tenant is entitled to income from the rent deposit, regardless of the form of investment chosen. And that is paragraph 551 of the German civil code. Just, mm. We're just flexing our legal muscles this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a Harvard-educated lawyer. It turns out I am. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was big into this. Uh, you posed a question at the bottom, which was, biggest return on a small investment simon so do you have a a big return on a small investment that you made uh yeah i have to say uh i mean it's not a huge return but i, I more than doubled my money with uh some crypto uh last Ooh. year Ooh. yeah crypto bro you kept that secret i'm not I'm, I'm i'm a long way from being a crypto bro but i did see an opportunity and i was like i'm just gonna chuck 50 euros at this and see what happens and yeah ended up taken out more than double my money and i've still got a little bit of doggy coin left waiting for that to to travel to the moon with elon musk and uh 
I'm out of here when that happens. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> I didn't get some stock tips from you. Clearly, you're uh, you're you're better across this than I am. No, it was just like I say everything was like geared to it, just like having a good bump. And over the course of I think six weeks, I, I pretty much tripled my money. And I was like, okay, that's that's it. I'm done. Like that's perfect. Uh, I can take this out. Tell my wife I've done this. Uh, she'll be impressed. Uh, and that's kind of that's good enough. Um, I don't have that instinct that I think a lot of crypto bros have be like, oh, if I'd invested all of my life savings into this and now I'd be a millionaire, I don't give a shit. A small win on that was was enough for me. So yeah, it would have been great if I made 115,000 euros uh, on an 800 mark investment. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy enough with my with my doggy coin wins. Uh, what about you? I was thinking about it. The only investment I've ever made was in 2010 and I took all my life savings up until that point and invested them smartly very cleverly and actually i see a, a massive return every year like tens of thousands of, of euros return because I, I paid for my masters <laughs> got me a job <laughs> and now i can earn money um yeah that was my only real investment i think it was like four and a half grand okay. or something i put into it okay it, i'll tell you one of the most moving and disturbing moments was when i put my bank account card in the little chip and pin machine and watched my bank balance go to zero and uh mm -hmm. I, I know this didn't happen but this is how i remember it was when i took the card out it suddenly got very dark there was a thunderclap and someone went <laughs> 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 and uh yeah and then i had no money and i was a proper skin student but that's probably the biggest investment <laughs> biggest change in my life uh situation was probably through um higher education well i mean you you have also bought a house recently so i guess that's probably a bigger investment yeah that's not going to see a return on investment i'm clearly going to die before we sell it of course it will <laughs> i mean yeah you might not get the dividend out of it but um i mean yeah, it will have already gone up in value in the year that you've had it the german property market is absolutely insane at the moment it's because of the uh it's because of all the exciting wooden floors that we put in but i don't know mm -hmm. i don't consider my house an investment so much as a place where i can put all my nice things so that's how that's how I see it. <laughs> I mean, if it's an investment, it's not one that I'm, gonna, I'm particularly thinking about, except for, you know, painting stuff, making it look nice. <laughs> well, if you do that magenta pink wall, you're going to devalue the property. Mm. So hold off on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've given up on that idea, but it might come back. Yeah. Still plenty of time for a midlife crisis. Uh, that, that would be a full-blown midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah, you'll know. We'll have tattoos, I'll be riding a motorbike, and I'll have a, a bright pink wall, and you'll be like, Nick, do you uh, do you need to uh, see somebody? Uh, I'll pay for it because your insurance fucking won't. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing that I thought about here was, uh, this is when he first sent it to me, I was like, I don't understand German numbers, because the first time I saw it, because do you know how they use commas instead of uh, decimal points in Germany? Yeah, so it's the opposite. A thousand looks like one. Yeah. So I saw I saw the number and it was 115, and I was like, "Why are you sending me an article about someone's 800 mark deposit <laughs> being given back the 115 euros?" And then I had to read it like three times, and I was like, "Oh, right. <laughs> oh, I understand now." And yeah, my brain was slightly broken by the, all the commas, and I always get that even when I transfer money. If I transfer money and then it's got the comma zero zero, and I'm like, "Hope." I hope this doesn't transfer hundred thousand euros into someone's account. I'd like every time I'm, that's the first that's the thought in my head. Even though I know that's not the case and I've done it hundreds of times, I've still part of my brain's like, well if they take a hundred thousand pounds out of my bank account. I don't have a hundred thousand yeah. pounds yet. <laughs> and a lot of these these banking apps, even if they have the option for English language, they don't translate the decimal and comma system. So even if you're operating in English, it suddenly it doesn't look right. Um, it is disconcerting. And I mean, German numbers are tough. There's no denying it. Uh, of course, all our German listeners be like, oh, no, they're perfectly easy. But it's not logical not at all. to say the last digit before the penultimate one. And every time I have to call my doctors and they ask me for my date of birth, I always shit myself, being like, am I about to say that I was born in 1948 <laughs> or 1984? <laughs> for, for 1948, I sound pretty pretty healthy. <laughs> you just got to wait for the reaction. He's like, oh, that's like, oh, wait, I've just definitely said 48 because he thinks I'm younger than I am. And then you say 84 yeah. and he goes, oh. <laughs> um, but I mean, also just even little numbers, like my birthday is the ninth, uh, which is the nointer. Um, yeah. And I've had lots of problems 
having that misunderstood as well. The nine sixter, the, um, yeah, mm. it's all, it's just not easy, and it is really intimidating. And I mean, yeah, I've been speaking German mm-hmm. for a very, very long time, and it's it's the one area that I still have to like really take a pause and think, okay, what's the right way of doing this? Because even after decades it still doesn't feel correct at all. The thing that gets me right is I go to I go to this Indian restaurant quite regularly and the, the guys there are, are Sikhs from Punjab, I think, the front, maybe it's the Punjab, I can't remember. We had a conversation with them, right? And when he gives us the bill, he tells us exactly how much it costs and I hear it clearly. He does have quite a broad uh, Indian accent, but like I understand everything he says, says it perfectly clearly. I go to my ice cream shop around the corner and uh, they, they give me the bill and they're like, and you're like, should I go as far as? And I'm like, nine, that's his act on Vietzing. And you're like, what the act on Vietzing? That's how much I'm spending on ice cream per shout. That's that's a big, big bill. I love ice cream. But it's like, it's like when you got the bakery and they're just like, and you're like, whoa, what was that? And then you're like, you, you look like Mr. Tourist, you know? And start tapping the number on the screen. And I'm like, I fucking know. Just say the words. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say that's that's the ultimate in like cashier and yeah, cashier yeah. rage yeah. when they're like tapping at the number. And of course, this is a, a huge barrier to entry for people who are new to the country, because the first German that you need is to go to the bakery, is to go to like your local supermarket, and of course the hallo, um, schönen Tag noch, things like that are easy. But numbers aren't. And of course, what you really want is everywhere to have like a chip and pin option or a contactless because mm. then you don't have to worry mm. about it because it is intimidating when someone is shouting numbers at you that aren't in the right order, mm. <laughs> first of all, and are then done with dialect as well. And of course, the same problem we have with time, um, <laughs> like telling time in different parts of Germany yeah. is totally insane. Even my wife doesn't understand the Franconian system of Dreifudel nach Dreifudel four, um, like all this kind of. It's just confusing, um, and the amount of times where someone has assumed that I'm German and asked me what time it is on on the underground or something, and I just melt in panic and just like show them my watch and point at it and let them read it because I'm not going to try and explain that fifteen or I think I've got the half now. Halb sieben mm. I know is half two. Instead of half past, that's pretty easy. But the drive foot of fear, drive foot of yeah, yeah, I hate that shit. It's it's really it's very confusing. Uh, one time, someone asked me that I think it was in Nuremberg that asked me for the time, and I looked at my watch, and I look, I must have been like ten seconds, just going, <laughs> uh, and then I said halb um, halb vier, and I was right, I was right, it was it was it was half past three, right. And and the guy went, Dankeschön, and then literally walked to the person right in front of me and went, and she looked at the time. And I was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, like, I tried my hardest. I think the best case scenario is that you get asked between like 11 o'clock and 2, and then you can decide, Mahlzeit. Mahlzeit. Um, Mittags. <laughs> Mealtime. <laughs> yeah, dear me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Numbers are intimidating. Um <laughs> But Nick, what would you do with this money if you were in the position of getting back 115,000 euros that you weren't necessarily anticipating? I would sensibly invest it in whatever you were telling me to invest it in. What is it? Dogecoin? Is it monkey bucks or something? I don't know what it is. I think the the ship has sailed on all this stuff. Should I be buying some NFTs? No, you definitely shouldn't be buying NFTs. (laughs) No. What is in your portfolio? How many Bitcoins? (laughs) If you think I have many bitcoins, then like I wouldn't be doing this if I had bitcoins. Uh, I would be very, very wealthy with bitcoins. I have a decimal point of something. Uh, yeah, my portfolio is not large. <laughs> You'll see how much I understand the concept of cryptocurrency when I come around your house and I grab you by your ankles and start shaking you, trying to find <laughs> where the coins are. Give me the bitcoins, the in pockets. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> One of my absolute favorite German words in the whole of the language is uh, Schnäppchenjäger, uh, which translates as bargain hunter. I love a good Schnäppchen, uh, and I don't mind jägen them. Um, and so here we <laughs> here we are uh, with a Süddeutsche uh, article, which has the, the a very weird title, uh, Aufschnitt Porno Max Gud. 
um, which is looking at the, the looming death of the supermarket brochure, the printed supermarket brochure, is going to be stopping. Um, Orbi, uh, my favourite hardware store, uh, is going to be stopping on July the 1st, as will Raver, uh, my favourite, I'm feeling rich, I'm going to buy nice things supermarkets. Um, Orbi, if you are a, a fan of Orbi, uh, I can recommend getting that app. Uh, because you do get a customer discount. And Nick, how much of a discount would you hope to get if you have the Orbi app and you're an Orbi customer? That seems like 10%, right? Uh, you get 10 at DM, which of course is, mm-hmm. is a major chain, a major savings over your year. Orbi, not so nice. 1% uh, is the discount <laughs> what a on, the, shit. on the Orbi membership. Um, I did spend so much that I was able to qualify for a five euro voucher on top of the one percent um but i think i spent nearly 500 euros at Orbi to get that so it's not great as far as discounts go but it is a good shop do you know what that's telling you that's telling you your data is worth one percent yeah <laughs> that's what it's like all the data you've given us that we're now storing away is worth one percent i mean they'll just be looking at me being like why is he buying so much soil like what what's he doing um yeah, maybe there'll be police round assuming I've got some weed farm, but no, I've just got high beds that have to be fucking filled every time it rains. But it's not just apps, though. I mean, like, apps are the new modern way to find out a good bargain. The The traditional way that's being described in this magazine is something that I think we both recognise, right? Yeah, bit of couponing. And yeah, I mean, this is a big part of German culture that every major supermarket will release upcoming bargains. And of course, Lidl have now exported this to on a very sort of pretty global scene now. And there are days in offices all over Germany where you'll see groups of primarily men uh, looking at like what kind of hardware is going to be in Angerbord this year. Like, oh, I can get a ladder for 20% off. Oh, a drill bit, 50% off. And they just like get there nice and early on the Monday morning that the deal starts, clean them out, and like yeah, normal consumers don't really have any idea of this sort of niche part of the supermarket experience. Uh, and yeah, removing the physical flyers, these sort of coupons, uh, booklets, is going to change the way that a lot of Germans shop. Uh, as you say, the apps these days, I can open my my DM app, my Orbi app, um, my Fresnap app and all of them have like voucher sections where i can activate a voucher with a single click zack 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 uh, and i scan a qr code uh, at the end and i get my discounts and it is it's very easy for someone of our generation where that isn't a massive hassle but yeah this is going to be a difficult one for the older people who have got used to to snipping coupons or scanning for bargains and one of the first topics it has here is supermarket hopping. And I think that's a really interesting thing here because I go to multiple supermarkets across the week to cover my shopping because different places do different things differently. And I think it's a very common thing in the UK as well. That a lot of people will do like Tesco's for X, Y, and Z, Aldi and Asda for X, Y, and Z to save some money here and there. Uh, so Nick, are you a supermarket hopper? And which supermarkets do you hop between? The article talks about supermarket hopping and this concept of going through these brochures that are routinely posted through German mailboxes for Lidl or Rever or any of the number of companies that you've mentioned and how the the description is that that people will neatly lay out on the kitchen table all these different pieces of of paper. And it says, this reveals itself at first glance. Ah, aubergines and minced meat on offer. Oh, (laughs) so Sunday we have moussaka and on Monday we have spaghetti bolognese. So this idea that Germans are sitting around the table looking at all these different offers and making their meal plans. And it says, a meal plan is created and the tour for a supermarket hopping Saturday. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit all about? Like, who wants to spend their Saturday hopping from one supermarket to another? Like, I'll do one Saturday, but I'm not going to spend the entire Saturday doing it. 
And it, like, if it was 100 years ago and we were shopping and it was some kind of communal activity, I'd be fine with that. But it's 2022 after all. And like, what monster wants to spend all Saturday shopping from supermarket to supermarket? For me, that, that's kind of dystopian. I do go to Lidl or we'll go to Raver, but like, it's spaced out enough that that experience isn't taking up an entire day. I'm hoping, Simon, I haven't brutally offended your love of, <laughs> of hunting for a bargain. Are you doing an entire Saturday on, uh, on the supermarkets? No, I I don't. I never do on Saturdays. Saturday, uh, Saturday shopping is an absolute emergency. There you and go. I, I avoid it at all costs. There's a man after my own heart. But I mean, I, I definitely I have a plan. <laughs> oh, tell me about your plan, please. So, like base camp in terms of shopping, like the place that I always go to that has everything that I need at good prices is Aldi, and of course we're down in Bayern, so it's Aldi Sud, and Aldi Sud has pretty much everything you could possibly need or want. And definitely has all the essentials. For me, shopping has become a lot more expensive. That's clear. But when it comes to like meat, uh, cheeses, like those kinds of things, Audi, the price difference is absolutely massive compared to a Raver or an Edeka. And so I'll do my basic shop at Aldi. And then I will either travel to uh, Edeka or Raver. And there I get my special stuff. Uh, so, for example, English or British cheddar. One of my local Edicas has a cheddar that no other Edica has that's British, and it is magnificent. It is proudly emblazoned in a Union Jack packaging as well, so I feel very patriotic when I buy it. Uh, and my local Raver has Cathedral City, which is standard, a decent enough cheese. I'm happy with it. It gets me through the week. And then there are sort of vegan things. like We've started having more meat alternatives in our diet, uh, and Raver and Edica are definitely better for those things. There are options for sure at Aldi. Um, my wife doesn't take normal milk anymore. She has like a lactose-free one. Uh, and as far as I can see, my Aldi doesn't sell any. It's all mm. just normal milk or har milk. Uh, and so I have to go and get her special milk there. Because one of the, the side effects I had from COVID was I ended up with gout. Oh, yeah. We discussed your rich man's disease a few months ago, right? Yeah, and one of the things that's really good for gout, and I haven't had it, I haven't had a flare up since, is cherry juice. Oh right. Um, okay. Aldi do a cherry juice that's like apple, cherry, and plum. I think that's nice, but the cherry inhalt, the the percentage of cherry is quite low. And Raver do a a, a stunning uh, sour kirsch saft. Yeah, it's like a pure, pure, pure cherry, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It, it's really it's one of the highlights of my day is having a bit of Raver cherry juice. And so I do have special things that I buy from different supermarkets. But as I say, different Edica, like I have two Edica that I go to and they don't have the same things as each other. No, 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 not at all. Um, yeah. Raver, like, yeah, everyone is different. And so there is a challenge there. It does depend on what your local area is. But of course, also price is definitely a big thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, we're all spending a lot more on, on shopping than we were last year and the year before. Uh, and so yeah, I, I'm definitely count myself lucky that I'm in a position that I can spend like four euros on some fancy cheese every one an hour, uh, once in a while, to have a taste of home, uh, to feel loved mm -hmm. by my cheese <laughs> instead of having to deal with fucking Gouda every single day. <laughs> You're not a fan of the old Emmentaler, mate. <laughs> I don't mind an Emmentaler, but it's it's not it's not on my top ten cheeses. No, no way. I was thinking though, I've never needed like to plan my shopping trip as if it was an invasion of a of another country. You know, that seems a little bit over the top going like, right, we're going to go here and then we're going to go through the center and then we need to flank them <laughs> and we will take the eggs. Uh, so <laughs> I just like feel that's a bit excessive. Like I go three supermarkets that are in an almost perfect isosceles triangle around me. So like, and I know, <laughs> I know what I like from all of those shops. Like Etika's got the best mm -hmm. barbecue stuff. Raver's yeah. got a load of overpriced shit, but their Pfeffer Bicer are the best. And that's where I get my beer. And then Lidl's got the best fresh fruit and vegetables. So they'll be like, we'll kind of divide and conquer. So I'll probably go on a Saturday morning and buy odds and ends that we need for that week. Um, just as a, a way of getting the baby out of the house for a bit. And away from my wife who just needs a, a break. And then my wife will maybe go to Lidl in the week or whatever. It sort of fluctuates. But I think this process of going through the magazines is a very... Part of me like sort of sees it as the 
this the sort of economy of of germans maybe it's maybe a more schwabian thing there's the whole schwabian <laughs> stereotype of them being very cautious with their money saving up and buying something outright instead of do, paying it off but my wife's parents certainly had all of these magazines strewn across the table and when we had cafe and cooking on a sunday people just idly flick through it but i definitely know we've had phone calls in the past from family members who are like oh i heard you needed a rug aldi's doing rugs for for this much this week <laughs> and and i'm like do i want an aldi rug like i look at them and i'm like i don't like yeah they are cheap but they look hideous like i don't want to have that in my house there's always like a, a hive mind of of deals that are, that are floating around but for one thing the reason these companies are getting rid of them is because they're bad for the environment which makes yeah. sense the waste of paper and um, there's no necessity to print them all but the way this article in Süddeutsche sort of lionizes the process of of going through the brochures like this is the bit that got my goat the most which they talked about the the process of going through the different bits of like offer deal papers these sorts of um mini newspapers as a contemplative activity and it's good for the soul and uh it talked about how for many folding and tearing out individual pages is a welcome ritual to calm down in the hustle and bustle of everyday life all right cat out of town um the circling of tempting super bargains can have an almost meditative effect on the mind and i'm like fuck off honestly like pull the other one it's got bells on no one's cutting out pictures of fruit so they can stick them on a weekly meal planning mood board it's ridiculous it's like totally insane and i bet whoever wrote it they probably think that doing the taxes is some kind of form of yoga it's ridiculous yeah i mean it is it's a weird form of sort of capitalist meditation looking at rabat uh, like anger border does focher and also my personal experience is often when you turn up at a supermarket that's where you get surprise deals the 30 percent off sticker yeah. at aldi that's oh that's that's the the holy grail uh, getting in early in the morning where you can find the cheap meat for 30% off that's got to be cooked that day or the next but um, it's definitely a good way to, to get some super deals that aren't in, in the pamphlets yeah I mean would you categorise it as porn though these pamphlets no I feel that's a little <laughs> bit of a no. weird choice of word I mean do you reckon we can uh, can put the use of the word porn for like things that we like can we put that one to bed <laughs> <laughs> I think we could. I mean, also, I think if we're going to go to like couponing porno, yeah. then there are, there are shows on TLC, uh, which is an incredible network with yeah. incredible <laughs> production quality. There is a show called Extreme Couponing, and that follows American women who go to supermarkets with like books of vouchers that they painstakingly cut out, mm. and then they buy like $500 worth of stuff. And then this poor person on the checkout spends 45 minutes scanning coupons to the point that they pay 25 cents. Or sometimes they get paid to take the stuff away from the shop because of how well they've couponed. Jesus. And like that, I understand. But all of the people on the show, it is primarily women. They all have like storerooms at home where they have like a hundred things of deodorants, 50 jumbo family pack washing. Like they've basically got stores in their house, but it's like a hoarding of new stuff. It's a little bit weird, but I think that sort of couponing porno where you have like a storage yeah. closet at home full of dash. I've got a closet full of cleaning materials. Do you do much cleaning? No. <laughs> but one day, one day. I mean, it's that end of the world stuff. Why have you got 14 crates of vodka? You know, I don't drink. <laughs> I mean, that makes more sense at least. Yeah. Put some fruit in it and suddenly you've got a nice little bit of eingelegte Fruchte. Yeah. Lecker. <laughs> I do agree to a certain extent with what it says about the sort of nostalgia for, for this because I think a lot of Germans, certainly rural Germans, have, have grown up with that sort of lazy Sunday. I asked my wife actually, I was like, do you think it's a good idea that they're getting rid of these adverts? And she was like, yeah. And I said, like, but you'd like going through them, don't you? And she's like, only because mm. I'm bored. <laughs> so I said, like, all right. I don't think there's as much nostalgia for it as maybe the article makes out, but I can understand why people might think fondly of the times of leafing through the little weekly offers and circling things and going out to go buy, I don't know, 14 packets of Erdnussen or something like that. Um, whatever it is that people are after. I mean, it seems like if, if people are really like this bored, 
then they could support a nice German company, go to ravensburger.de, buy some nice puzzles, <laughs> and just do that yeah, instead. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm going to do that now. You can get your own ones printed so you could have like one of your own face. It's been a dream of mine to assemble a puzzle of my own face. There we go. A thousand pieces of your own face. It's really difficult as well because my face isn't symmetrical, so <laughs> challenge. Yeah, I don't think that's what's going to be challenging about having to look at your face oh, <laughs> on that oh, scale. Oh. Boom. Ah. You caught me right at the end. Gut punch. Sovos <laughs> zusammen. Hallöchen. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to stuff a landlord's postbox full of unwanted junk mail. Fight the power. Take the coupons. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a ratings on iTunes? Only takes a minute and really helps us. Chuck some stars our way. I think 22 people have done it so far. We're on five stars. So yeah, lovely that's buggers. awesome. More the merrier. Chuck some more stars our way if you can. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on Twitter or the Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash decades from home and contributing to help us fight the power and pay off our rent. We won't use it for rent, we promise. Before we get to the end of the show, I do want to make a couple of shout outs. First and foremost, I'd like to give a shout out to a new listener, Andreas, who sent us a lovely email about the relationship between Germany and England, which we're going to hopefully use for something later uh, in the year. But uh, thank you to you, Andreas. And also, I want to give a, a big thank you to at Scandy Tina, who has become our biggest promoter, apparently, attracting loads <laughs> of people to listen to our show. Really, really big thanks for that. Really love it to see people talking about the show, saying how much they enjoy the show, and just generally giving us props for hating the Tories. That's always a positive. So thanks to all of you for that. Yeah, if you hate the Tories, <laughs> listen to more listen to more episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we slandered got... them a fair few times. Yeah, we did, we did some today as well. I feel better for it. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. And you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Ciao mit Faul.